Well, good morning. Pray with me, please. Almighty God, omnipotent, I pray for your power to be made known in my weakness. Holy Spirit, I pray that you use the truth of your word to speak to everyone who is listening to this message and encourage those who do believe in you in the truth that they have been forgiven of their sins. But also pray for those who are listening to this and who do not know you. I pray, Lord, that by your grace and through your spirit, you bring them to faith in you and that you forgive their sins. Speak to us now, O God, and give us ears to hear, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. This morning we are in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. If you have your copy of God's Word, please turn there with me. Now, after this morning, um, we will be pausing our sermon series going through the Gospel of Luke. And this summer, we're going to be going through the Psalms. We're going to begin in Psalm 1, and we're going to go through Psalm 12. Now, for our passage this morning, uh, it's been a couple weeks since um, Pastor Jake preached on the passage right before that. But in the passage right before our passage that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus proclaimed the idea that the one who is the least in the kingdom of God will be the greatest. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom compared to what we might expect and even compared to what we see. And in our passage this morning, we're going to look at a vivid, true story of God's upside-down kingdom. And as we look at this true story, it will also be good for us to remember who we were before Christ and who we are now in Christ. So let's look at this passage together. We are in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. 
Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. Antiques Roadshow is a show that travels to a whole bunch of different places, and specialists from the country's leading auctions and independent dealers offer free appraisals of antiques and collectibles. And essentially, people bring in their stuff, and they get a free expert estimate, estimate of how much their stuff is worth. And it's interesting, if you're into this sort of thing, because you never know how much something is worth. And it's really exciting when someone brings something in and they're not expecting it to be worth a lot of money and they found out that it's actually worth thousands and thousands of dollars. But item after item, these experts estimate the value of each thing that is brought to them. Now in our lives, there are many things that we can assign value to more than just our possessions. So let's just imagine for a moment that we are on Antiques Roadshow and we're going to assess the value of everything in our lives. Our possessions, our family, our friends, our jobs, God, everything. Out of everything that you have, how much is the forgiveness of your sins worth to you? How much is forgiveness worth to you? Now this morning I want to proclaim that forgiveness is worth everything. And there are two reasons why forgiveness is worth everything, and these are my two points this morning. So first, forgiveness is worth everything because forgiveness is enough, verses 36 through 38. And second, forgiveness is worth everything because forgiveness costs Jesus' life, verses 39 through 50. So first point this morning, forgiveness is worth everything because forgiveness is enough. Verse 36 gives us the setting for this passage, where one of the Pharisees, and we will learn later on that his name is Simon, Simon invites Jesus to share a meal with him. And we know from verse 49 that there were other people there. We don't know how many people were there, but it is very probable that Simon was very wealthy And therefore, it is very probable that this meal was more like a banquet that was held in a large courtyard. Now, as was the cultural custom, when meals were shared together, they would recline at the table. Now, this picture isn't the greatest, but it gives just an image of what it would look like for them to be reclining at table. They would be lying down on couches, and they would be propped up on their shoulders with their feet, or excuse me, their face, and their head facing the table with their feet laying out behind them. Now, I don't know how they would lay like that for that long, because I lay like that for five minutes, and my, my shoulders begin to hurt. But uh, this was the custom, and this is the setting when Luke continues in verse 37, and he says, And behold. Now, anytime you see this phrase in the Bible, it carries the idea, like, Hey, everyone, come and look. Come and look, because what you're about to see, you need to pay attention to. And so Luke says, And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was at Simon's house, she came to him. Now what's interesting is that Luke doesn't tell us anything about this woman, other than that she was from the city, 
and that she was a sinner. And in this passage, this woman is identified by Luke, by Simon, and by Jesus as a sinner. And so because of that, for the rest of this sermon, when I refer to the woman, I'm going to call her name Sinner, just so we can get a full picture of what we're working with here. Now, we don't know exactly what her sin was. The text doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that her sin was so deep and so well known that if you had to describe this woman in one word, it would be sinner. Now, by this point in Jesus' ministry, his miracles and his message have been spread far and wide. And this passage assumes that sinner has somehow and in some way heard Jesus' message of forgiveness and has responded in faith and repentance. J.C. Ryle believes that sinner heard Jesus' words recorded for us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus proclaims, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Without a doubt, sinner was weary and burdened from her sin. And from this passage, we know that she has come to Jesus Christ and she has found forgiveness and rest for her soul. And so when Sinner heard that Jesus was in her city and at Simon's house, she came to Jesus. She goes into Simon's house and into the courtyard where Jesus and the Pharisees were sharing this meal. Now, it is common for uninvited guests to come into a meal in a courtyard like this. They were um, to stay away from the invited guests. They were to remain silent, and they were just to observe and listen from a distance. But the fact that this woman was a known sinner, going into a house of a Pharisee would have taken a lot of courage. And what she does next breaks all social norms. So she takes her alabaster flask of, the ESV says ointment, but a better translation is actually perfume. She takes this flask of perfume, and this per- flask was probably worth about a year's worth of wages. And it's more than likely that she bought this with the wages of her sin. So she takes this flask, she stands behind Jesus, and she's weeping so much that she wets, or literally the word here is drenches. She drenches Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she dries his feet with the hair of her head. Now this in itself is absolutely crazy because in that culture for this woman to even take her hair out in public would have been shameful, let alone her being an uninvited guest and a known sinner touching the feet of an honored guest with her hair. And then what she does is she kisses Jesus' feet over and over again and she's weeping and then she takes her very expensive perfume and she applies it. She just pours it and puts it on Jesus' feet. So what's going on here? This may seem really strange to us. But what's going on is that sinner has recognized the weight of her sin and she has heard the truth that she can be forgiven of her sin in Jesus Christ. And so she runs to him, weeping with tears of joy because she's been forgiven. She's overwhelmed with gratitude to Jesus because of the forgiveness that she has received. Now her response is the appropriate response for the forgiveness that we have received from Jesus. Because what we must remember 
is that before Christ, we are all sinners. Our identity is rooted in our sin. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of our sin is huge in the eyes of God. From the tiniest sinful thought to the most severe action, every single one of our sins is an absolute outrage to the holiness of God. And every single one of our sins justly deserves God's wrath. Our sin is so deep and so well known to God that we should feel the same way that this woman feels about the forgiveness of our sins. Do you feel this way about the forgiveness of your sins? This woman doesn't care that she is breaking all the social norms. She doesn't care about the humiliation that she is bringing to herself in the eyes of the Pharisees. She doesn't care that she's using something that is probably the most precious and most costly thing that she has ever owned. Because she is so emotionally overwhelmed by the forgiveness of her sins that she will do anything to show gratitude and love to Jesus for what he has done for her. To her, forgiveness is worth more than her humiliation. To her, forgiveness is worth more than her greatest treasure. Forgiveness is worth more than her comfort. Forgiveness is worth everything. How much is forgiveness worth to you? My friends, forgiveness is worth more than your greatest treasure. Forgiveness is worth more than your comfort. It's worth more than your humiliation. Because forgiveness is worth everything. And it's worth everything because that debt that we owe has been forgiven in Jesus Christ. When we are forgiven, God releases us from the burden of our sin. Forgiveness takes away our guilt before a holy God. Forgiveness frees you from the weight of your sin. And what a beautiful thing. Sinner, this woman, has absolutely nothing. Her reputation is defined by her sin. She's clearly a social outcast. And I would be absolutely surprised if she had any close friends or family. She has absolutely nothing. And yet, she has forgiveness. And forgiveness is worth everything. Forgiveness is enough for her. Forgiveness is enough. Is forgiveness enough for you? Melissa Kruger asks this question in her class on contentment, which, as a side note, you can take for free right now on Ligonier Connect, and I highly, highly recommend it. But Melissa Kruger asks this question, is forgiveness enough for you? And I believe that if we're truly honest with ourselves, that we will find that forgiveness is not enough. Jesus, I know that you love me. I know that you've forgiven me of my sins, but what I truly want is friends or social status or money or an easy life or marriage or children. We look on Facebook and we want what our friends have. I found myself doing this a couple weeks ago where I saw on Facebook two friends from high school and they were hanging out together. And I just thought to myself, Man, I wish that I had lifelong friends like that. And in that moment, 
I was discontent with what God has given me because I wanted lifelong close friends more than I wanted forgiveness of my sins. My friends, when forgiveness is not enough for us, we're saying that the cross of Christ is insufficient for us. We're basically saying to God that the giving of your son was not enough for me. We want more. We want what our hearts desires because that's what we think is best. But when we understand Jesus Christ for who he truly is, then this should be a game changer. Because when we understand Jesus for who he truly is, then we will understand our sin for what it truly is. And when we recognize these things and we recognize that the forgiveness of our sins is worth everything, it's worth more than our greatest treasure. It's worth more than our comfort. Forgiveness is enough. Forgiveness is more than enough. How much is forgiveness worth to you? Forgiveness is worth everything because forgiveness is enough. And second point this morning, forgiveness is worth everything because forgiveness cost Jesus' life. So when Simon the Pharisee saw a sinner weeping and wiping and anointing Jesus' feet, he thought to himself, he thought, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know who this woman is that is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now clearly Simon thought that he was righteous and this woman was not. But at the heart of it, Simon is questioning who Jesus is. He's not really sure. Who is Jesus? Is he a prophet? And because Simon doesn't recognize who Jesus truly is, he doesn't recognize his sin or his need for Jesus, his need for forgiveness. Therefore, Jesus who didn't hear Simon's comment, answered him. And even in this, we get just a little glimpse of the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And Simon and everyone there is about to see that Jesus is not only a prophet, but that he's more than a prophet. Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon says, say it, teacher. And Jesus continues with a parable. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now a denarius was worth about a day's wage. So one owed 500 days of wages and the other owed 50 days of wages. When they could not pay, the money lender canceled the debt of both. And then Jesus asks, who will love him more? The answer here is quite obvious, but Simon seems a bit, a bit hesitant. And he says, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the largest debt. Now, this was the obvious right answer. Anyone who had been forgiven 500 days worth of labor should be and would be exceedingly grateful. And the point of the parable is clear. That love is the proof that we have been forgiven. And whoever loves much has been forgiven much. The more that we have been forgiven, the more that we will love. Jesus said to Simon, you have judged rightly. And then Jesus turned to the woman who was probably still there weeping and wiping his feet. And Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? Of course Simon saw her. She was right there. He looked down upon her. 
He was disgusted and frustrated at her. To Simon, this woman isn't even worth looking at. But Simon didn't really see this woman, did he? He didn't see her the way that Jesus saw her. And then Jesus continues by turning Simon's view of the world upside down by contrasting Simon and sinner's love for him. He does this by talking about hospitality. Common hospitality would have included giving water to wash the guest's feet. Now, this was included because, as you can imagine, they were wearing sandals and their feet would get quite dirty. But when Jesus entered Simon's house, he did not provide water to wash Jesus' feet. But this woman, she came in and she washed Jesus' feet with her own tears and wiped them with her own hair. Now, also, a kiss was a loving and respectful way to greet a guest. And when Jesus entered Simon's house, he did not kiss him. Simon did not show any love or respect when Jesus entered his house. But this woman did not stop kissing Jesus' feet. In fact, she was probably still kissing Jesus' feet this whole time. And another way of showing hospitality was applying oil to the guest's head. Now, this oil would have given the guests in the room a pleasant fragrance. And it would have provided the guests with refreshment to their sun-baked skin. When Jesus entered Simon's house, Simon did not give him any oil for his head. But this woman anointed Jesus' feet with really expensive perfume. This could have been her life savings, and she's pouring it out at the feet of Jesus. And here we see two people approaching Jesus differently. One approaches based on his own perceived good works, and the other approaches out of gratitude and love. Which of the two more resembles your approach to Jesus? Then Jesus makes the point of this contrast clear in verse 47, where he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. This woman's extraordinary, grateful love to Jesus is proof that her sins have been forgiven. Her willingness to be humiliated in front of all these people to show her love for Jesus is evidence that all of her sins that Jesus says are many have been forgiven. Her willingness to pour out her earthly treasure at the feet of Jesus demonstrates the great forgiveness that she has been given in Christ. Whoever is forgiven much, loves much. But whoever is forgiven little, loves little. It'll again be helpful here to remember that all of our sin in the eyes of God is huge. From our tiniest sinful thought to the most severe action, every single one of our sins is an absolute outrage to the holiness of God. Every single one of our sins justly deserves God's wrath. And this means that if we have been forgiven of any of our sins, then we have been forgiven of much. And this is the point. We are forgiven much, and so we should love much. Our love for Jesus is evidence of the forgiveness that we have been given in him. Now, Jesus is making this point, but he's also making a point to Simon, who he's directly talking to. And his point to Simon is that his little love for Jesus isn't actually love for all. Simon didn't think that he needed forgiveness because he thought that he had kept 
the law perfectly. Simon considered himself righteous. And he also thought that this woman, sinner, was not worthy of the grace of God. But my friends, this is the beauty of the grace of God, that no one is deserving. And so Jesus looks at this woman whose single greatest characteristic is sin, and he declares to her the most beautiful and precious words that any human can hear from the lips of Jesus. He says, your sins have been forgiven. Her identity is no longer rooted in her sin. Her identity is now rooted in the forgiveness of her sin. And her name and her identity has been changed from sinner to forgiven. Beloved, if you are listening to this message and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then this is true of you as well. That Jesus Christ knows every single one of your sins and yet he looks at you and he declares, you have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. Now what did it cost Jesus to declare these words? It cost him his humiliation. It cost him his life. The humiliation of this woman pales in comparison to the humiliation of Jesus Christ, who even though he was the king of glory, he left the lavish riches of heaven to come and live in a sin-infected wasteland. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was scorned by the ones that he came to save. And on the cross, the full wrath of God that we deserve for our sins was poured out on him so that we can be forgiven. The holy and righteous and almighty anger that our God has for our sins was satisfied in Christ so that God can be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. The complete burden of our sin was placed on Christ so that we can be forgiven. The full weight of our guilt was imputed to Christ so that we can be forgiven. Jesus Christ became our sin so that we can be forgiven in him. And this is why forgiveness is worth so much. Because we cannot buy it. But it was bought for us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. Now the verb here for have been forgiven is in the perfect tense. What that means is that it's a completed action with ongoing effects. In other words, all of your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. And it doesn't matter how small or how great your sins are, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. Not in part, but the whole of your sin has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. There is now no, therefore no more condemnation for you. You have been released from the burden of your sin and your guilt before a holy God has been taken away. And your identity is no longer rooted in your sin. Your identity is no longer sinner. It is forgiven. God looks at you through Jesus Christ and he declares forgiven. You have been forgiven. 
There is no sin so small that it does not deserve the wrath of God. But there is no sin so big that it cannot be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this means that if you have been forgiven at all, you have been forgiven much. And the forgiveness of your sins is worth more than 500 days of wages. It is worth an eternity. Forgiveness is worth everything because forgiveness cost Jesus' life. The forgiveness of our sins is worth all of our affection. It's worth all of our love. And the depth of our love for Jesus, the depth of our love for others, is evidence of the forgiveness that we have in him. Is your love for Jesus comparable to the forgiveness that you have been given in him? Is your love for others comparable to the forgiveness that you have received in Jesus Christ? Now, I think the application question that we need to work through from this sermon is, what does it look like to love Jesus and others as an overflow of the forgiveness that we have received in him? Now, this would be a great community group discussion question, and I hope that you work through it tonight. Marty's giving me the thumbs up up as he's writing down the question. But we can take our cue from this woman who gave up her comfort, she gave up her treasure, and her humiliation to serve Jesus Christ. And as I was wrestling through this, um, Mitch helped me out, so this following idea comes from Mitch. Just like this woman, when we see our sin and our depravity and how much we have been forgiven, we love more. If we have been forgiven much, we love much. And it's this love that will help us love others, whether they have sinned against us or not. But that begins with us being humble and dependent on God's forgiveness. Without humility and dependence on God's forgiveness, we cannot even begin to enter in and help others during the chaos of this time. But with humility and dependence and gratefulness for Christ and the forgiveness that we have for him, we can love much because we know that we have been forgiven much. Now, the story isn't over. It continues in verse 49, where after Jesus made the declaration that this woman's sins are forgiven, the people at the table with him say to one another, who is this who even forgives sins? And they were saying this because only God has the power and authority to forgive sins. And yes, Jesus was making a glorious declaration about this woman's forgiveness, but he was making an even bigger declaration that he is God. He, Jesus Christ, has the authority and the power to forgive sins. And there is no sin that is too big or too bad that Jesus Christ cannot forgive. But Jesus doesn't even respond to the people at the table. He's concerned for this woman. And he concludes, and he says to her in verse 50, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here we see why Jesus forgave the woman. It was because of her faith. It is by faith that we are saved. And this is not faith and faith itself. Saving faith has an object, and his name is Jesus Christ. It is faith in Jesus alone that leads to salvation. Saving faith 
believes that we need to be saved from the penalty of our sins. And saving faith believes that Jesus Christ took that penalty for us on the cross. Do you have saving faith in Jesus Christ? If not, I urge you for the sake of your soul to put your faith in Jesus today. But beloved, if you do have faith in Jesus, then you have been saved. You have been saved from the penalty that you deserve from your sin. You have been forgiven. Then Jesus concludes by telling this woman to go in peace. And this is absolutely astounding to me. Because as I think about this woman, I can only imagine and assume that before she met Jesus, she had no peace. That she was overwhelmingly distressed by the weight of her sin and by her life. But then she meets Jesus. He saves her. He forgives her. He transforms her identity. And she can go in peace because by faith she has been saved. My friends... Our world is desperately looking for peace right now. And in the midst of all of the chaos and everything that is going on, we must remember that the root cause at the heart of all of it is sin. And there's only one person who can forgive us of our sins. There's only one person who can save us from our sins. There's only one person that can give us peace in the midst of the chaos and that person is Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to Jesus Christ, by faith. It is by faith in Christ that we are saved. It is by faith in Christ that we are forgiven. It is by faith in Christ that we can have peace. This is the gospel message. And this is the message that our hearts need right now. This is the message that our world needs right now. And so, yes, there are many things that we can do and should do as the church, but we must not forget the most important thing that we should be during, doing during this time, and that is sharing the good news of peace and forgiveness and salvation that is found by faith in Jesus Christ. And we can do this because forgiveness is worth sharing. Forgiveness is worth everything because forgiveness is enough and forgiveness cost Jesus his life. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, if we were to count our iniquity, if you were to account our iniquity, oh Lord, who could stand? None of us. But you, by faith in you, through your atoning death on the cross, and th you have forgiven us of our sins. What a glorious truth and what a glorious hope in the midst of all the chaos. Lord, I pray that you encourage us in the truth and in our identity that we are forgiven. Help us to love much, not out of guilt, but out of forgiveness. Help us to love much, not out of unbelief, but by faith. Use us, Lord, your church, to bring the message of peace and forgiveness and salvation to a world that so desperately needs us. God, be with us and use your gospel 
how you see fit. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we pray that you come quickly. Amen.